0: in the Middle, a podcast just for middle school books. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've just felt trapped? Maybe you're stuck in a situation that you feel like is out of your control. Maybe you had a friendship that you realized was not really a friendship anymore. That's how Maddie feels. Maddie feels trapped, trapped in her life, trapped in her situation. She feels like there's no way out for her. Maddie is 16 years old in 1906, and Maddie lives in the northeast of the United States, up in New York. Maddie's mom is gone, and she is left with a bunch of younger siblings that she feels obligated to take care of. Her father is pretty much an abusive alcoholic. Sometimes he's apologetic, sometimes he's not. And Maddie is desperate to make her own path, to have her own life. She gets an opportunity to work at a hotel for the summer called Glenmore. The work is hard, the pay not great, but as she gets more involved in her work there, she meets a young woman who happens to be a guest named Grace Brown. And right away, Maddie feels a bit of a kinship to Grace because she doesn't seem to really be fitting in on this supposed wonderful vacation that she's taking with a young gentleman. Grace appears to be more distraught as the vacation goes on. And in fact, one day she surprises Maddie by asking her to take some of her own personal letters, some of Grace's letters, and asks Maddie to destroy them. Maddie is shocked by this request and doesn't carry it out right away, but Maddie remembers the letters when later on it turns out that Grace and her young man are missing on the lake. A search party goes out looking on the lake when the boat that they rented does not come back and Maddie is working up at the Glenmore when the word comes out that Grace has been located. So Maddie starts to get ready one of the rooms, and a, a man brings up Grace back to the Glenmore. Mr. Crabb lays her down on the bed, Cook stretches out her legs and tucks the pillow under her head. The Morrisons come in. Mr. Sperry, the Glenmore's owner, is right behind them. He stares at her, goes pale, and walks out again. I'll fetch a hot water bottle and some tea and... And brandy? I say, looking at Cook and then at Mrs. Morrison and then a painting on the wall. Anywhere and everywhere but at the girl. Should I do that? Should I get the brandy? Hush, Maddie. It's too late for that, Cook says. I make myself look at her then. Her eyes are dull and empty. Her skin has gone the yellow of Muscatel wine. There's an ugly gash on her forehead. And her lips are bruised. Yesterday she sat by herself on the porch, fretting the hem of her skirt. I'd brought her a glass of lemonade because it was hot outside, and she looked piqued. I hadn't charged her for it. She looked like she didn't have much money. Behind me, Cook Badger's mister Crab. What about the man she was with, Carl Graham? No sign of him, he says. Not yes, leastwise. We got the boat. "'They tipped it all right, in South Bay. "'I'll have to get a hold of the family,' Mrs. Morrison says. "'They're in Albany.' "'No, that's only the man, Graham,' Cook says. "'The girl lived in South Oskatalik. "'I looked in the register.' "'Mrs. Morrison nods. "'I'll ring the operator, "'see if she can connect me with the store there, "'or a hotel, "'or someone who can get a message to the family. "'What on earth will I say? "'Oh, dear, oh, dear, her poor, poor mother.' She presses a handkerchief to her eyes and hurries from the room. She'll be making another call before the day is out, Cook says. Ask me people who can't swim have no business on a lake. Too confident, that fellow, Mr. Morrison says. I asked him if he could handle a skiff, and he told me yes. Only a darn fool from the city could tip a boat on a calm day. He says more, but I don't hear him. It feels like there are iron bands around my chest. I close my eyes and try to breathe deeply, but it only makes things worse. Behind my eyes, I see a packet of letters tied with a pale blue ribbon, letters that are upstairs under my mattress, letters that I promised to burn. I can see the address on the top one, Chester Gillette, 17 Main Street, Cortland, New York. Cook fusses me away from the body, "'Maddie, pull the shades like I told you to,' she says. She folds Grace Brown's hands over her chest and closes her eyes. "'There's coffee in the kitchen and sandwiches,' she tells the men. "'Will you eat something?' "'We'll take something with us, Mrs. Hennessy, if that's all right,' Mr. Morrison says. "'We're going out again, soon as Speary gets the sheriff on the phone. "'He's calling Martins, too. Tell him to keep an eye out. "'And the Higsby's in the other camps, just in case Graham made it to the shore "'and got lost in the woods.' His name's not Carl Graham. It's Chester. Chester Gillette. The words burst out of me before I can stop them. How do you know that, Maddie? Cook asks. They're all looking at me now. As the search widens for the young man, and Maddie goes through the letters that Grace Brown left her to burn, Maddie begins to realize that this was no accident. This book, A Northern Light by Jennifer Donnelly, is actually based on a real case that did happen in 1906.